I am so excited about what God's doing in the lives of people at the church. And one of the things we begin to experience is seeing people experience God in an amazing way during baptism. And so I'm really praying for next week. I'm praying for what God's going to do, who God's going to bring, friends of yours, family members, neighbors, that they might come to know Christ and experience an amazing time with him in baptism. So be praying for that. But I also want to let you know that Pam and I right now are in Dallas, Texas. I'm speaking at a church there with one of my friends, and we miss being with you guys. But you're in for a treat. I am so excited for you to hear Bill Hadorn preach today. Uh, I've wanted Bill to be on staff with us. I've known Bill since he was in uh, college, and uh, I got to watch him meet his wife and the children and all the things that's come in his life. But one thing you probably need to know about Bill is this is before he met his wife, Michelle, he asked a girl out on a date, and I was so impressed because Bill decided to start his date at church. And so he introduced her to me. I could tell he was nervous about this very first date. And while worship was happening, I got some people. We snuck outside, and we took Christmas tree flocking, and we wrote Just Married all over his car and tied cans to it. So when they came out after church to begin their date, they walked up, and there's this Just Married all over the car. So anyway, I want you to know that uh, I've gotten Bill a few times. So I hope today you're excited, and I want you to ask you to do this. Crossroads, would you welcome Bill Hadorn right now? Oh, it's so good to be here. Uh, So good to be here this morning with you. Um, You know, uh, first service, here's the problem. Chuck always gets me. Like, there's always times where throughout the years he'll do something. So first service, what I did was uh, I told everyone who knew Chuck's cell phone number to take out their cell phones and text him and say, hey, um, where's Bill? There's nobody preaching. And then, and then I texted him and I said, hey, Chuck, um, just so you know, I accidentally slept in. My alarm didn't go off. What do I do? And... Uh, Actually, someone gave me a text back and said, that's not funny, and it was from Chuck. So, so I might not be here next week, but no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> hey, it's so good to be here this morning with you guys, and I'm really excited uh, to share what I really believe God has put on my heart to deliver to you. And uh, so what I'd like to do is kind of let you know where we're headed, and then I'm going to pray for us and pray that God moves uh, in a powerful way. We're going to kind of run through some stories and run through some scriptures, and I'm kind of bringing it to this place of saying, hey, I truly believe uh, that there's a reason for us being here this morning, a powerful reason, but in that is what is God going to do with us? Uh, and, and what is God going to do with me individually sitting in this seat right now, listening to God's word? And so I'd love for you in this next half hour to be fully present here, to be in this place and to say, hey, you know what? I know some of you, I, I heard your stomach's growling. Uh, some of you may be thinking of what's going to be happening the rest of the day. Um, but let's take this time to really be challenged by what God has for us. And the reason I say that is because we do have an enemy that is real. And just at the time where God wants you to hear something and we get into his word, sometimes that enemy triggers some things in our minds, doesn't he? And it gets our focus on something else. Oh, I got to worry about my bills. I'm worrying about this. I'm worrying about that. And so I want to pray against that and just pray that God moves in a powerful way in us this morning. Let's do that. Father, uh, I thank you for this group of people. And God, I thank you for the privilege and the honor uh, to come before them and just deliver your word and share your word. And Lord, I pray that together we would discover uh, what you have for us, that you would change us and mold us into the men and women you desire us to be. 
Move in a powerful way. Break down walls and barriers in your name. Amen. If you have your Bibles, open them up to John chapter 9. I actually have a real Bible, not an iPad Bible. And uh, this, I'm kind of going vintage old school. Um, I don't know. It's just something about me. Maybe because I'm old. Um, look at John chapter 9. Listen to what it says. Jesus, uh, this story of Jesus and his disciples. And so in John chapter 9, he goes like this. He says, now Jesus passed by and he saw a man who was blind from birth. So uh, well, let's go on verse 2. And his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? So you have this picture of Jesus, and he's with his disciples, and they're, and they're walking by, and I think something crazy just happened with Jesus. Uh, I think he just said that he told everyone that he's God, and then he gets out of there because they were going to stone him. And, uh, and so he walks through, and he's with his disciples, and there's a guy that was blind sitting on the side of the road. And his disciples say, hey, Jesus, what's with this guy? Like, what is his problem? Why is he blind? Now, why is that so important? Well, the reason is in the, in the Jewish culture, whenever they saw somebody who was blind, they immediately thought, oh, somebody must have sinned in his life. Like, it must have been either his mom, his dad. Like, they must have done something really horrendous in order for him to be blind. Or maybe he did something. Maybe he made a bad financial decision. And so God cursed him with blindness, you know, maybe whatever it was, but that's what they believed. And so if you were broken, if you were someone who wasn't perfect in every way, that means God's blessing wasn't upon you. You see, there's an interesting concept that the Jews had. They believed if God bless, if God's blessing was upon you, then you would be honored and blessed at all times. Now, Jesus turns around and he says, well, no, that's not true. Okay. And we'll get into that in just a second. And so they're asking Jesus, like, what's wrong with this guy? What did he do? Why did it, you know, what, what, what's going on? What, you know, he's not perfect. There's something missing. You know, like when you get older and, and you don't really have the impact that you used to have. And I, I see our society kind of marginalizing older people, how sad it is. And, and, and as, as people grow and get older, they become more lonely sometimes is because our society says, well, you know, you've, you, you don't have much left. And so the society turns around and says, because you're, you're used up, because you're old, you've been through the ringer, we, we want something new. And we see this in the workplace, we see this in the world, wherever we go. And that's sad. And that's not the economy of Jesus. How many of you guys have projects around the house? Maybe you have something, how many of you guys are into old cars? Any, any of you guys into old cars? Okay, even a hand clap over there. Um, yeah, and it's sitting in an auto cocoon on your driveway. If you know Dwayne Vance, he's got this car sitting on his, in his driveway and it's just rotting away. It's a nice car. But, but you have this picture. It's like someday when I get $50,000, I'll fix that car up. You know, because that's how much it costs to rebuild a car. I love doing those things. But we see these values and these things, they grow old and, and we eventually just say, you know what? Let's just either get rid of them or they're not worth much anymore. They're broken. They're incomplete. They need to be fixed. They, they, you know, and eventually, you know, even we were just driving up the street here, um, driving to some of the neighborhoods and seeing the stuff that people throw in the trash. You know, I almost went out there like, I'm going to dig through this trash. Look at all this cool stuff people are throwing away. To them, it's like, it's used. Do you think that we feel that way about God towards us? That if we're used up, 
that if we're broken, if we're old, that God can't use us? Because I think deep down there's this battle that goes on. It's like, Jesus, why is this person blind? Or Jesus, why is this person broken? And are they useful? Is there anything they can do? See, this is how my wife and I felt when we lost our first house. Man, that was hard. When we lost our first house, it was humiliating, especially as a pastor, because you're supposed to be the guy who has it all together, you know? Come on, you guys have it all together financially. Your family's perfect. Your marriage is perfect. Everything's perfect, right? (laughs) It doesn't work that way. And so when we lost our first house, man, we had, there was so much stress on us. And then when we lost our second house, it was almost unbearable. There were times I just, we would just look at each other and just go, how is this happening? And then here's what comes up. Satan whispers in and says, you know what? You're worth nothing. Doesn't he? Oh, you know what? Yeah, there you are again, making the same mistakes over and over. God is not going to use you, Bill. You're, you're a waste of space. And you know what? I can't believe you, you're, you think you're the man of the house and you're making these decisions. Do you know where I'm going with this? Do you see that? And so Satan does those things and he gets in there and he makes us in there. So there's this stress. There's this thing. I remember I was asking God, God, I just want to give up. God, how can you use a, you know, an idiot like me when I make these dumb, idiotic decisions? Now, here's the thing. Everyone has a brokenness story. Every single person in this room right now has one. And if you don't, you will. <laughs> and it's probably pride. <laughs> That's your story. But no, really. Everybody has a story of brokenness and a place where, you know what, God is trying to move you and, and take you to. Now look at what Jesus answers the disciples in this. Listen to what he says in John chapter 9, verse 3. He says this. So Jesus answered and he said to them, check this out. So they asked him, who sinned? Who sinned? Listen to what it says. Verse 3. Neither this man nor his parents sinned. What? Jesus, well, we've learned that if someone's broken, that means they've sinned. And Jesus says, no. Neither this man nor his parents sinned. And then he says this, but, the, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. The reason this man was broken, so God could use his brokenness for his good. Whoa, are you kidding me? I don't like that. Because I want to be perfect. Everything wants to be good in me. But no, God uses the brokenness in our lives for others' good. Man, yes, we did lose two houses. And you know what the good that's come of that is amazing because people come up to us all the time. And they're able to share their stories. And they're able to get encouragement and strength and to know that you can move forward. The God uses broken people in a powerful, powerful way. Because he was broken, that's how God was able to use him. Does that make sense? Because the very fact in his weakness, that's what made him strong. That's what makes us strong. Now turn over to 2 Corinthians with me. Uh, Chapter 12. I have a friend named Eric, and he's here this morning. And uh, Eric's a a big guy. And he's six foot five. And uh, actually, he's six foot. Last service, I said he was six foot four. And he comes up and he goes, dude, I'm only six foot. And I'm like, why do you look so big to me? And he goes, because I'm a large man. <laughs> Eric's an awesome, awesome guy. And uh, Eric walks around with a cane. And if you ever see Eric, he's always got a smile on his face and he's always excited. And so we went out to lunch once and we were talking. 
And he said, he said to me, uh, or I said to him, hey, what happened to your, to your foot? You know, what happened to your knee? What, I, why do you walk with a cane and all that stuff? You know, and I think he's going to tell me he got like shot or he got like carjacked because he's kind of a hardcore guy. And, uh, and so I'm waiting for the big, you know, the big aha story, the big crazy story. And so he looks at me and he goes, uh, Bill, I actually just stepped wrong and it twisted my, my foot and my knee kind of messed up. And I've been on the cane ever since. And I went, oh, and then he goes, but wait, he goes, but if I wouldn't have taken that step wrong, I wouldn't be with Jesus today. He says, cause every time I take that step and I remember, I remember what God did for me and that pain and that cane remind me of who God is. And so during that time in his life, God used that in a powerful way. Somebody even came up and asked him, hey, can we pray for your knee? And you know what he said? He said, I don't want your prayers. I don't want them because I don't want to forget what God did for me. Isn't that amazing? And so listen to what Paul says. Paul, he wrote half the New Testament, one of the most amazing guys, and he struggled. Paul struggled in many ways. And uh, in, in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, he's asking God, he's pleading with God, I've got this issue, I've got this problem, God, and I want you. Take it away from me. I'm tired of it. It's, it's bugging me. You ever feel like that? You ever have that monkey on your back or that thing that just won't go away? That's what's happening to Paul. And he's saying, okay, I'm supposed to be your minister. I'm supposed to go around, travel the world, and share my faith. But God, I'm, I've got all this stuff going on. I need you to take care of it so I can minister better. That's what Paul's thinking. And listen to what it says in chapter 12, verse 8. He says this. He says, concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. Saying, God, take it away. And verse 9, listen to what Jesus says. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. He says, Paul. Slow down. Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. And then he says, therefore, Paul goes, I would most, I'd rather boast about my infirmities that the power of Christ would rest upon me. Now, I don't know if you're catching that. Let's, let's take that verse and let's strip it down for a minute here. My grace is sufficient for you. My, Jesus is saying my grace is enough. My grace is enough. You know that song, my grace, is that how, my grace is enough, something like that. I can't sing it. That's why Natalia sings and I don't. Um, So my grace is enough. My grace is sufficient for you. My grace. See, we want to fix everything, right? We want to make it perfect. We want to do it on our terms. And Jesus is like, no, 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 no. You're missing the point. My grace is enough for you. And then he goes on, he goes further. He says, it's not only enough, but my strength and strength basically means ability to do something, right? To accomplish something. My strength is made perfect in your weakness. (laughs) So my strength is made perfect when you're weak. So, and it's, it's interesting in the Greek, I'm not going to get deep into it, but in the Greek, it's linear in thought. So as our weakness grows, God's strength grows. If it goes the other way and we start going on our own strength, God's doesn't come through. It's only when our weakness grows is God's strength grows in us. John 3.30, he must become more so I become less. And it's this constant surrendering of our lives. It's, it's, and giving to God. It's this inability in us to produce results. Man, that's powerful. Because how many times do you and I, in our strength, try and produce results that God doesn't want? 
and we don't let go, and we don't let God, and we don't move through. The weaker the vessel, the more powerful that God shines through. So I have a friend, and uh, more than one friend, but I do have a friend. Um, and that was funny. Um, <laughs> I have a friend uh, named Tony Amoslecker. Some of you guys know Tony. Uh, Tony used to have this job where he would travel around the country and, or travel around the world and take uh, high schoolers on mission trips. Man, that's a crazy job. And uh, he went to the Dominican Republic and he was telling me this story. He was in a, um, he was in a town in the DR called Egue. I think it's called Egue. Uh, it was a small village. And they were going to visit a, a pastor named Pastor De La Cruz who went there to minister to the people of that village. Well, he, Pastor De La Cruz, he came up against a lot of resistance. So he went into the town, obviously thinking God had called him there and saying, okay, God, you're going to do powerful things, right? He gets there and they're against him. They don't want him there. They're against his family. They're kind of a little bit violent towards him. Uh, they're trying to witness and share and do all these things. It's just not working. He's at his wit's end. So about that time, Tony and his group go to visit. Uh, Pastor De La Cruz is visiting with some people, comes back to his house in the middle of the night. He's walking home. He's praying. He's like, oh, God, I don't want to do this. I'm tired of this. I can't live like this anymore. Uh, help me through. Uh, you know, f- forget it. I'm going to get out of here. You know, all the questions that you and I uh, struggle with when, when things don't seem to go our way. Well, as he's doing that, all of a sudden in front of him, this guy falls out of the tree. Ah, you know, and lands right in front of him. And he's like, Whoa. And he looks down, and the guy's covered from head to toe with cuts. And then he looks closer, and he realizes the guy, oh my gosh, this guy's totally bloodied up. What's going on? He got in a machete fight. Now, I don't know if you've ever seen a machete, you know? I, I mean, this guy got hacked up. And he was wondering, oh, who is it? You know, what, what's going on? So he just, okay, i got to help this guy. So he puts him up in his arms, and he holds on to him, and he carries him home. And he puts him in a bed. And he begins to heal his wounds. He begins to clean out all of those machete wounds. His wife comes in, cooks the guy dinner. They begin to talk. They let him sleep. They let him rest. His kids come in and read him books and do different things. And this guy's just sitting there in awe. And they just take care of him. And they just love on him. And they just begin witnessing and sharing the gospel with him. Well, the guy sitting there accepts the Lord. He's like, oh, this is awesome. And he's like, ah, I want to be a part of whatever it is that you're doing. I want to be a part of. And then, and then Pastor De La Cruz says, hey, you need to be baptized. And he goes, let's go right now down to the river to get baptized. So, they, so Pastor De La Cruz picks this guy up and they began to walk out and they go down through the village to, the, to where the river is. And, they, and, and Pastor De La Cruz notices very quickly um, that everybody is eyeing this guy. And so he's looking at him. It's like, do you guys know him? And people start coming up and they start asking him, where have you been? We miss you. We haven't seen you. And he realized that it was the mayor of that town. And he's like, oh my gosh. They go down to the water and and, and they walk through the water. And then all of a sudden throughout all of the villagers start coming out because they want to see what's going on. Why is the crazy missionary, (laughs) you know, with our mayor? Well, he takes the missionary down and It says, Pastor De La Cruz said that the guy was just so weak, he could barely move. You know, he'd been all sliced up, and there was just all these marks all over his body. Well, so he looks at him, and he says, okay, are you ready to be baptized? And the guy's like, yeah. And and he says, okay, do you, uh, are you going to follow Jesus for the rest of your life? The guy's like, yeah. And he says, do you accept him as your Lord and Savior? The guy's like, yeah. And he goes, okay, based upon that confession of faith, and he's kind of holding on to him, worried that the guy's going to die if he dunks him underwater. And he goes, "But, but in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and he takes him under the water. And then he said, 
he just felt this strength come on this guy. And when he lifted him up, the, the mayor of the city just reached his hands up to heaven and just began to praise God and start shouting things in God's name. Some incredible truths. And they said, Tony said, this was the craziest thing. And he's all, you don't have to believe me if you don't. But he said, the bandages began to unravel and there was no scar. And they just, the bandages floated down the river. And the dude was sitting there like this, just praising God. And then all of these, yeah, praise God. All of these villagers came down and all of them wanted to be baptized. And so this huge revival happened. Why? Because he didn't give up. Because Pastor De La Cruz didn't give up. Do you, do you catch that? He didn't give up. He knew like he wanted to, but in his weakness, God 